When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money, but are your bills even accurate? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million to save. Visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. This is 24, a weekly highlight reel from the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show, featuring all things election coverage. Let's get started. Here are Clay and Buck. They have now admitted that the biggest case that they are trying to bring against Donald Trump, that is the March 4th Jack Smith prosecution related to Jan 6th, is no longer going to be able to happen on March 4th. We told you a couple of months ago that that was the way this was headed. It's now off the calendar. That that case will not start on March 4th. So that is a major issue. There is panic right now in the Democrat uh, prosecutorial camps because it looks like Alvin Bragg with his garbage New York City, uh, the basically business records charge, may now be the first case, might even be the only case that is uh, brought against Trump that is able to be completed before you're able to vote nine months from now. That is a big deal. Also a big deal. We told you this was going to happen. The Atlanta criminal prosecution against Donald Trump, Fulton County, Fonnie Willis, is basically going up in smoke. She had to file a response to allegations that she was having an affair with a lead prosecutor that she hired. Fonnie Willis has now admitted that she was involved in having an affair with a lead prosecutor that she hired that she provided over $650,000 in taxpayer funds to. This is a man that, based on his history, was not qualified, according to many experts in the community of the Georgia legal uh, affairs, was not able to do this job. Uh, This is, I think, the end of Fonnie Willis's tenure as Fulton County DA in this particular case. And Buck, it would not surprise me if she ends up charged with her own criminal violations associated with this charge. So just contextualize here that March 4th out the window uh, in terms of a trial date for Jack Smith. Uh, And now Atlanta, same day, going up in smoke. If you are Trump's lawyers, might want to be popping a bottle of champagne this Friday 
because everything is now going in your direction. Maybe early for champagne, but I appreciate the sentiment, right? There's still there's still some challenges out there. Still I mean, challenges, I, I, but this I, I, is about as well as it could I, go if you're a Trump. It's, it's uh, a if good you're a Trump attorney. It's it, the trajectory is all good for Trump world in terms of the legal stuff, but I'm a big believer in never celebrate early because it's just so crushing uh, when things don't go your way after you assumed or acted like they were. But here, here's what I see, you know, the Alvin Bragg uh, decision making. We talked about this, I think, the first hour. All he has to do is bring a case against Trump, and everything for him is pretty much good, right? Meaning Alvin Bragg benefits personally, his professional aspirations, and also, I think, ideologically, he feels like he's doing some great service by prosecuting Trump. But that that is true up to the point of, does it serve the interests of the Democrat Party overall? Fonnie Willis... And, and that I think there's a little bit of a question mark as to whether continuing with it would serve the interests of the Democrat Party overall. But Fonnie Willis having this whole thing now implode effectively before there can even be the decision whether, you know, if she had pull, if she had backed off all of this and hadn't brought the Rico and everything else and stuff came out, you'd say, all right, you know, it wouldn't be. But she's already launched this Rico, which is racketeering case against Trump and uh, over a dozen other defendants. For her to back away now because of ethical issues, she's doing Trump a service, which means that it's no longer just a good thing for her to have brought it. It could actually be problematic for her. You know, I'm always a big believer in look at incentives, look at individual interests. That's going to give you a much better sense than just people reading the tea leaves more more broadly. Um, I think that for her, she has to fight this because there's no way to back down from it now without losing whatever she thought she gained by bringing this insane case in the first place. You know what I mean? She's got to fight this thing through and see this through, but I think she's going to lose. I think she's got big problems. I think I think you're right on that. It's actually better for Trump, too, I think, if she doesn't withdraw because it keeps the focus on her impropriety and potential illegality. And we should mention the House Judiciary Committee has opened an investigation into Fonnie Willis She's going to have to testify or refuse to testify, which she might do, uh, under the Fifth Amendment uh, on Capitol Hill. Also, the state of Georgia has begun their own investigation into the investigation. We've talked about this before. If you're a lawyer and you need your own lawyers, and certainly we've seen this happen a lot with the Trump's. <laughs> and your lawyers, lawyers need lawyers. That's right. The more legal representation is uh, is involved, a lot of Trump's lawyers have needed to get their own lawyers, to be fair. It's a sign that what you're trying to do is a mess. And for the first time in a while, Buck, I think there is a scenario where none of these cases ever go to trial before the election. Because I think there's a possibility that Democrats put pressure on Alvin Bragg because that case is so weak, you don't want to lead with your weakest attack against Trump. Because what we saw happen when these charges came down was the March case, everybody covered very, very detailed. Every additional charge, different jurisdictions, South Florida, D.C., and Atlanta that was brought against Trump was a little bit less of a media story. If Alvin Bragg and his procedural bookkeeping charges become the lead punch that they throw against Trump, regardless of the outcome, it's not it, you know it's, ideal in any way. Oh no, definitely, and and, and there's a a very uh, I think broad narrative challenge the Democrats have here. 
effectively, yeah, they say things like a threat to our institutions and we'll end the republic. But really what Democrats have decided for a long time now is they think Trump is crazy. That the ones who hate Trump the most actually believe that he's he's not and evil. Well, yeah, like crazy and evil. He's, he's yeah. crazy. He's crazy and evil. What we've seen is if you're going to make a case that Trump is crazy and, as you say, evil, you can't act like a bunch of lunatics yourself. And they are being crazy. Anyone who is observing this would say, hold on a second. And it reminds me a lot of all the Russia collusion stuff from back in the day. They were saying, look at all the evil things or the bad things Trump was doing with Russia. And anyone who followed that said, well, why is the FBI and the media and the Hillary Clinton campaign making stuff up, lying, colluding, covering things up from the public? Like they are acting unethically while shouting about Trump's ethics. And here, the people that are telling you Trump is so crazy, he can't be president or acting like and I'm talking about all these different prosecutors and the different pundits on TV and the Democrats in elected office who are all saying the same stuff. They're acting like they just broke out of the asylum. Think about how reckless it is. If you are Fonnie Willis, you are trying to put the former president in the United States in prison for the rest of his life. The people that you select for this unprecedented, I think it's a witch hunt, but let's presume that you are a prosecutor committed to justice. The level of recklessness to hire your lover boggles my mind, Buck. There are tons of people out there that would crawl over glass who are left-wing zealots in the Atlanta area who would love the opportunity to try to put Donald Trump behind bar for, bars for the rest of his life. So many skilled, competent, really highly talented lawyers in the Georgia bar. And you go hire a guy who never prosecutes cases, who by and large, Buck, you go look at his website, if you get into a traffic accident, you can hire this guy. And you're going to go to war with that decision-making process? I mean, to me... Regardless of what you think about Fonnie Willis and the charges, ultimately, as a DA, you're being paid for your judgment. You look at all the facts. You decide whether there need to be cases brought or not. The people of Atlanta and the people of the state of Georgia should want her out of office now because her judgment is so flawed. If you hire your lover <laughs> I just and pay him $700,000, regardless of what you think about any other situations out there her judgment is so flawed i wouldn't trust her to prosecute any case she's threatening to take away people's freedom i mean she's and 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 can do so yes i mean i think that sometimes we can lose sight of this because trump is i you know i I try to be as uh objective about this as i can i mean the the possibility of him defeating all of these different cases which we're not there yet but it could happen it seems almost like a superhuman feat i'm just gonna be honest I mean, if someone told me that I had to beat four criminal trials, even if I knew I was innocent in all four, yeah, I would be worried. Yes, right? I'd be very worried because you never know. Juries are crazy. Prosecutors are unethical sometimes. So uh, th- this is this is what I think is is going to have to happen. Now they're going to have to find a way to make it seem like they're not pinning all of their hopes on the J six case in D.C. When that's exactly what's going on. Because if they if that becomes too much. The narrative that becomes too obvious, then people start to say, OK, well, if it's all about the J6 case, why are these other cases even in the mix? Why, why did you do this? You ask more questions 
and the whole apparatus of anti-Trumpism starts to crumble and they don't have any good answers for this. And remember, now we're talking about cases potentially taking place in July, August, September, October. Legitimately, they're not going to, I don't think, based on the calendar right now, that they could start the Jack Smith case before July 4th. Right. So you're I, legitimately, can I just say something? you think I they'll do it no matter They're going to do it. I'm just going to remember Andy was Andy and I, we didn't coordinate this beforehand. He had said what I had said to you, I think a week or two before, which because you say, well, hold on a second, Buck. The guidelines are and you're correct. Yes, those are the guidelines. But guidelines don't matter when it comes to getting Trump. They don't care. That's my opinion. Um, That certainly has been the case on everything else. Um, That will be yet another Rubicon. They will cross. I think that they if they can, they will bring the J6 case July, August, September. They don't care. Because there's no law against it. They're going to say, we got to do what we got to do. The American people need to know. And we're all going to sit there just saying nothing, you know, nothing else matters to these guys but destroying Donald Trump somehow. I do think that plays to Trump's favor, though, because it's the closer it gets to the election, the prosecution becomes impossible not to argue is supremely political. you, You have to wonder at what point does the way that they are prosecuting Trump maybe start to shift what we had seen before remember though the poll that was the real oh my gosh yeah. moment what was that maybe three months ago four months ago there was a poll that showed if trump gets convicted of a fe- of a felony you know criminal case uh he will lose in every swing state all of a sudden there'd be this huge and we've said all along i just don't really buy that that it would be so clear and and such a a massive sea change but the longer this drags out and the more absurd it is the more prosecutors that have ethical issues the more um, people learn about what's going on in New York City, a case that is such a stretch that it it really makes a mockery of the district attorney's office in New York. And I, I don't say that uh, lightly. I think it's true. It makes the whole thing seem like a big joke. Um, maybe in time, it won't even matter as much if he gets convicted because enough people will have it. Right now, we're in an election year, and it's really turning into an episode of Law and Order with Trump starring in it. That's what this is, because that's what matters more than anything else for the election. I think you can make nine months out an argument that ultimately this come this race is going to come down to two factors, whether Joe Biden's age or Donald Trump's criminal allegations have a bigger impact for swing voters. And the Trump criminal allegations are uncertain. We know Joe Biden's getting older and 75% of people don't think he can do the job. That, to me, is a that, that to me is the essence of the case, which is going to be more impactful. Biden's age, dementia, it appears, and mental and physical frailty, or the Hail Mary, increasingly it seems, legal challenges being thrown upon Donald Trump and how those are all crumbling. I think if you had told Democrats a year ago, Buck, as they started to begin these charges, remember the first ones were filed 11 months ago in March, I think if you had said, hey, we're going to get to March and none of these cases are going to have gone to trial yet a year after the first charges were brought, they would have been in disbelief and they would have been panicking. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. 
More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my from this idea of what do, is that? Is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to 24, the year of impact with Clay and Buck. So far, the numbers, right? The numbers look really good for Trump, and it seems like things are moving in the right direction. But here's what we've got. 2024 matchups, Quinnipiac, Biden, this was just yesterday this broke, opens up a lead over Trump in national head-to-head polling. Um, Haley leads Biden one-on-one, but trails both of, uh, but trails when third-party candidates are in the mix. But Biden, according to this poll, Clay, six-point lead over Trump. What do you make of this? Is this just an outlier, or is this a turning of the tide? I don't think the tide's going to turn. I think Trump is basically, if you look at all of the collective data, right now up on Biden. But the idea that Trump is going to go out and win by four or five points, I think nationwide, is very unlikely. I think also the idea that Biden is going to go out and win by five or six points is very unlikely. This race, when all is said and done, which is why we were focusing on yesterday, the seven-state a battleground poll that came out from, I think it was Morning Consult and Bloomberg. To me, the national polls are going to be a lot less significant. What you really want to look at is what's going to happen in Michigan, what's going on in Pennsylvania, what's going on in Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, and uh, and to a certain extent, New Hampshire and North Carolina. There are about 42, I would say, states that you don't even really need to focus on, right? We know who's going to win those 42 or 43 the seven state uh, uh, polls are the ones that are going to decide this election. So I'm not going to pay as much attention to the overall national polls because they don't really matter. And 
honestly, Biden probably has to win nationwide by three or four points because he trails the nationwide number overall. And there was a poll that came out today that I thought was interesting on a statewide basis, Buck. It had, and I know we got a lot of listeners in Minnesota, uh, it had Biden only up three in Minnesota. And that, to me, that Midwest individual state polling is far more interest than whatever the the nationwide polling might show. Because we know Biden's going to win New York and California by massive amounts. But if he's truly only up three in Minnesota, that would provide further credence to, I think, those Midwest state polls that are out there right now that are very favorable to Trump. One thing that comes up in this as well, uh, and, and this was singled out in the uh, analysis that Quinnipiac put forth as part of this poll, was the gender gap. Yeah, right? it's so getting worse. That's the part of this that may be a little concerning. Women 58 to 36 support Biden. I mean, you're talking about basically a 20-point gap. Women overall supporting Biden over Trump. December, it was 53-41. So those numbers are moving against Trump. Now, I don't know if that means this... No one knows if that trend will continue, if that stays. Um I just wonder, you know, I know there's the VP option. Right? That's, that's the VP where I was going to go. Let's, let's have Clay talk more about that so the Internet can explode for a couple of days. But I think it really is on Trump, actually, to, as part of his campaign, win back over, perhaps, some of the suburban women. Um, college-educated women are a very tough demographic for Donald Trump right now. I don't know how many of them he can win back, but certainly there's got to be the numbers are so the numbers are so disparate right now between Trump and Biden on this that you've got to think that even if Trump can chip away at it by a few percentage points, that could make the difference. I think people who are looking at this election, honestly, at this point, I know it's months away, but it's going to come down to a very small. It's about where you get the votes you need not about the aggregate number of votes nationwide, your point about the polling. So it's going to be very tough. And I just wrote down and put an exclamation point beside it because I think this is very important. I think you have... So first of all, men are breaking for Trump and Republicans pretty substantially, right? So we talk about the gender gap. The gap is there because women aren't. I think you have to divide... If I were advising the Trump campaign right now, I think you have to divide women into two distinct categories because I think single women are virtually lost. Now, maybe you can chip away a little bit at that, but they're going to go all in on abortion. They don't like Trump. It is culturally not very acceptable for single women to be very uh, apparently Republican. And by the way, I know there are single women listening to us right now. This is talking in generalities, right? Every time we talk in generalities, people say, well, I'm a single woman and I love Trump or what." Yes, this audience is going to tend to skew a little pro Trump, I think. Yeah. Okay, and pro Republican in general. So I'm not talking about you specifically, but I bet if you're a single woman, hey, maybe we'd love to hear from you. Eight hundred two eight two two eight eight two. If you're a single woman right now, I bet you will endorse what I am saying, which is when you talk with your girlfriends, when you guys go out, there is a pronounced anti Republican, anti Trump bent. And I think it's directly connected to abortion. So I think it's going to be very hard to compete with single women. They are the base of the Democrat Party right now. Okay, married women, though. This is where, and this is why people get angry at me when I talk about the VP, this is where Trump can make hay, I think. 
If I were advising Trump right now, I would say you need to focus on married women. Because I think there are a lot of married women out there that are actually going to be willing to listen to the arguments in favor of Trump. Why? Married women, a lot of them have children. And I think if you look at a lot of single women, when they get married and when they have kids, and I think this is true of men too, you tend to get more conservative. Women out there that might be, when they're single, comfortable with the idea of men are awful, men are uh, toxic, masculinity. I just They might say that's icky. Then guess what happens? They get married. They like their husband. And even if they don't love their husband, they have kids. Suddenly you have sons, <laughs> kinda, right? Even if they don't love their husband, Clay. Don't love your husband all the time. What's, what's going on here, Clay? This uh, is getting depressing. I've been married almost 20 years. And there's lots of times I think my wife would say, I don't love everything that my husband's done. And I think every married woman out there would nod along. But you have boys and you have sons. Maybe you have grandsons. You start seeing the way that they're being raised and how everybody is saying that they're awful. And you start thinking, this doesn't add up. This doesn't make a lot of sense. Married women are winnable. And that is why I'm, and people get mad at me. By the way, Trump is winning with married women. And he can win even more with married right. women. It's, I think you have to it, divide single it, women from married women. Oh, absolutely. He wins married women, but he doesn't win them by the same uh, numbers that Biden wins single women. And if you go that. look at the data, that's where the difference is between 2016 and 2020. So. I, that's why I think the VP makes, and people get mad at me. I think you have to look at Nikki Haley. I think you have to look at Elise Stefanik. I think you have to look at Christy Noam. I would look at our friend Marsha Blackburn. Uh, I, I think there are a lot of women out there that could make sense as VP candidates for Trump that would make the case that he needs to make to them better and easier than just Trump by himself. And, and it is worth noting that uh, I don't know. I don't know how much faith. Uh, you all have in in Frank Luntz, but he he's out here saying this is cut seventeen that Biden is clearly by the numbers the weakest incumbent since Jimmy Carter. We went through this in 2016. We watched Hillary Clinton zoom in the polls early on and then collapse at the end. So this is no guarantee of what happens in October and November. But Andrew, make no mistake, Joe Biden is the weakest incumbent in America since Jimmy Carter in 1980. And don't forget, on the Thursday before the election, Carter was dead even with Ronald Reagan. After their one debate, Reagan beat Jimmy Carter by nine points. This is a look into the future. My biggest concern, Clay, um, well, other than the legal stuff and October surprise shenanigans and, and skullduggery um, is any sense of Republican overconfidence here. That's the thing that honestly bothers me more than any other possibility here. It's like, oh, yeah, Biden's so weak. He's such a joke. Ninety seven percent of Democrats who voted for Biden are going to look at this and say, I'll take him over Trump. Maybe more than that. I mean, they're locked in. Right. So now you get into turnout and independence and third, you know, it starts to become a very complicated pool that you're operating with. Um, but it's not going to be some walk in the park no matter what, because most of this is already baked in. I think the once analogy of 1980 with Jimmy Carter, I do think Jimmy Carter and Joe Biden is the best historical analogy out there. The challenge is, I think in 1980, people were still getting used to Ronald Reagan. The nation was still becoming aware of who he was. And that's why a debate could have a big swing in terms of the impact. 
so much of this is already baked, Buck. We're going to spend billions of dollars on the campaign, both sides, Democrats, Republicans. I don't think it's going to change anybody's opinion. I think this is going to come down to turnout, third parties. Turnout in third parties, to me, is going to dictate who wins this election. Because nobody out there is suddenly going to be, I don't think, oh, you know what? Donald Trump is different than I thought he was. Joe Biden is different than I thought he was. Most of us alive today have never had a campaign where effectively we have two incumbents running. Everybody has an opinion about these guys. That's why I do think the VP could be helpful for Trump, because nobody likes Kamala. If Trump got a VP that women, college-educated, married women liked and felt like in some way reflected them. I'm telling you, and grab this, and we'll go back to it in November in nine months when the election happens. I'm telling you there are going to be women in particular that are going to sit around and say, I don't like Trump, I don't like Biden, they don't like Kamala, but if Trump made the right VP, they might say, but you know what? I really like Christy Noam. She reminds me of me. Or they might say, I really like people get mad. I really like Nikki Haley. She Ooh, reminds me of me. Clay Travis said it. He I'm did talking it. about people who are swing voters. And that's what I would say to Trump, too. The base is baked. People are coming in on the base, and they're going to show up. General election campaign is about persuading people who aren't necessarily fully engaged, and they often make emotional decisions based on how they're going to vote going forward. You're listening to 24, the most important year in politics with Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. This is from Morning Consult in GE. This is considered to be a very reputable poll. And I will mention that the polls, by and large, have been reflected as uh, you know Trump's leads Basically, the exact of what we expected in Iowa, a little bit lower maybe uh, than expected in uh, in New Hampshire, but still double-digit win. This is head-to-head. It actually gets worse for Biden when third parties are included. Bloomberg and Morning Consult, this is the poll. Wisconsin, Trump is up five. Pennsylvania, Trump is up three. Nevada, Trump is up eight. Georgia, Trump is up eight. Michigan, Trump is up five. North Carolina, Trump is up 10, and Arizona, Trump is up 3. Margin of error, 1%. So outside of the margin of error, Trump leads in all seven swing states. In order to be elected president, either Trump or Biden probably needs to win four of these seven states. Buck, do you buy the numbers as they look nine months out from election day, or are you apprehensive about what these numbers are telling us? The reality is we've never seen anything like this before for Donald Trump at any point that he has been a politician, right? He's never been this far out ahead. Um, I, I think part of this is the longer he has this lead in the polls, the harder it becomes for Democrats to argue this um, risk to democracy thing that they always talk about. Uh, He was already president, as we've discussed before, for four years. And so we know that he didn't, in fact, become a horrible dictator. Um, If by horrible dictator, you mean a booming economy, no new wars and lots of sensible decision make a decision making from the White House, uh, then, yeah, sure. But clearly he isn't Hitler and people who say that are emotionally unstable and delusional. 
And so the longer that he has a lead in swing states, I and look, we pay attention to this every day, right? I mean, we're watching the horse race as closely as anyone can. But I do think it starts to filter out into the broader conversation. If he's so awful and such a risk, why is he beating Joe Biden in all of the places he would need to to be president, especially after January 6th, when they, I would assume, Democrats certainly uh, believe that that makes him unelectable going forward. Well, January 6th happened, and he's clearly not unelectable because he is crushing an incumbent president in a half a dozen swing states. Uh, I, I, I do think what concerns me is not only that uh, there's this still there's even more polling that shows if he gets a felony conviction on the January 6th stuff specifically. Now, I don't know if, uh, you know, I don't know how it will play if he gets the New York. I, I think he's going to be found guilty in New York. I, I'm, oh, yeah. This is, he's going to be, th- right? He's 100% he's gonna be found guilty. Yeah. So he's going to be found guilty in New York, but he's going to be found guilty of a bookkeeping error, which is absurd. And it actually may backfire in terms of the politics of it. I think, I think it that's may, right. I think that one may backfire to the point where I'm still not even 100% convinced. You know, Alvin Bragg wants to do it for Alvin Bragg, the district attorney of New York. But I don't know if the Biden White House wants him to do it. And this guy has asked. I'm sure he wants to be governor of New York or mayor of New York. He's got aspirations, right? They may be saying, hold on a second. You think you're helping, but you're hurting. Um, but really, the other thing that I think about, Clay, is this whole thing. We're going to talk so much about policy and, you know, we, we hammer the border. We, we've been talking about the border, as everyone knows. Before this became the number one issue in the country, we talk about it almost every day, and it may all come down to a guilty verdict one way or the other in D.C. That may be what determines the election more than any other policy or thing we can talk about, which is not the way the system is supposed to work. So I, I'm with you, though. I, I find that hard to believe. I, I find it hard to think that the polls are right on that. But I also don't want to be picking and choosing and saying, well, Trump's ahead in all the swing state polls. Let's ignore the if he gets indi- if he gets convicted in D.C., he loses every swing state, which is what the polls say right now. Yeah. And I agree with you, by the way, on Alvin Bragg. I think it can be an interesting situation where trying Trump is the best thing that could happen for Alvin Bragg's political career. And don't mistake the fact that Alvin Bragg and Letitia James both probably are angling to one day be the governor of New York. And so whoever can be the toughest against Trump, whoever can be the baddest man on the block in New York, it can be politically advantageous. But, Buck, I think with what we talked about with the E. Jean Carroll results and with the uh, Trump organization itself being under siege, I think a lot of Americans are just writing off everything that happens in New York. And I think that actually works to Trump's benefit. Because I think a lot of people out there, uh, if they're paying attention to it at all, they say $88 million dollars for an alleged sexual assault that there's really no evidence ever happened. That's a lot of money, right? $88 million. And then they're trying to take a $300 million or so fine from the Trump organization in New York as well. I think all of that kind of gets rolled in together. I don't know if you agree with me on this, Buck, but in my experience as a lawyer, most people don't understand the difference between civil courts and criminal courts. I mean, as a general public, right? There are... People who are super plugged into what's going on in the court system. But I think the idea of civil court and the standard of justice and criminal court and the standard of justice, I think everything New York is already baked in for Trump. And and I think it's whether it's the Alvin Bragg charges, whether it's the Letitia James, whether it's the E. Jean Carroll, people just kind of have the sense that New York hates Trump 
and they're doing everything they can to get him. So I would put that off to the side, and I would say that's actually beneficial to Trump because you're a New York City guy. A lot of people who don't live in New York City just think New York's a different world, right? Like where I live in uh, in Tennessee, Buck, we used to get phone calls when I was in D.C. Like I would answer the phone for the congressman's office, and people would be like, is this Washington, D.C.? It was like such a foreign place that the idea that people lived there was like you lived on a different planet. That's how much of the country sees New York. I think Trump's gold there. I am fascinated by how the timing of the Jack Smith January 6th case is going to play out because increasingly that feels to me like the entire ball of wax, so to speak, to your point, for Joe Biden. If they can get that case, if they can get that conviction... They feel like it's their ace in the hole. It's going to swing the election. If they can't, what's going to change these seven states? Remember, he doesn't have to win all seven. He just has to win four. One thing that that we haven't discussed here is that I think you and I both see this now, and we're certainly not alone in this, as they're all in, all in on the get a Jack Smith conviction and we're golden strategy. If that is the case... We think the Jack Smith case, I mean, well, sorry, the Jack Smith case will start when I bring this up because uh, the, the, the timeline here of the anyone but Biden switch starts to become very, very narrow. You know what I'm saying? If, if you're yeah. going to wait until this trial happens, it's going to stretch and it's going to take at least what, six to eight weeks from start. They say it's going to be March 4th, but now it's probably going to get pushed beyond that. And assuming it gets pushed beyond that and it starts happening in the summer, you can't do the switch while you're waiting for the trial verdict, right? That would be so maybe that's the ultimate, ultimate backup plan. I know you think so. I think they got to just ride with what they've got, but they've got to try to time this out. And I think they may have made at this point, it's clear they went with too many prosecutions. I think that that has backfired on them. I think they still hope that they can turn it all around with the one January 6th Jack Smith prosecution. Um, I wonder if the Florida Mar-a-Lago documents, I haven't seen specific polling on that if he was found guilty there, but it's a process crime. I mean, it's, it's, it's another documents issue, and there's no harm done, right? So you're going to get into, do people really care? I don't know. I think the answer is probably not. So the Politico article was interesting because remember, Buck, I was on an island for a while arguing that it was going to be super hard to get these cases done. Uh, there were people out there saying, oh, they're going to be able to get all these cases. Like, and I just kept looking at it saying, I don't under-. So March 4th is not happening. And I think this show was one of the first places to let you know, hey, March 4th is not happening. I mean, we're going to be February tomorrow. Uh, there's a 0% chance March 4th is happening. Um, we'll see when the D.C. Court of Appeals issues its opinion and to give you a little bit of a preview of how that would go they're probably going to rule 2-1 that Trump doesn't have immunity then Trump can appeal and ask for the entire DC circuit court of appeals to hear that case Um, and then he can go to the Supreme Court so even now I don't see any way that these cases are likely to start before July 4th and that is being generous and when you get to July, Buck, and on your time frame there, you're right. It's at least a two or three month trial. Let's be honest. You got to seat the jury. You've got to, uh, Trump's lawyers are going to drag it out as long as they want. They want to 
if they start the trial, they don't want it to finish. I mean, I think they see it as being politically advantageous, uh, especially if they could drag it out past the actual uh, date. I mean, you could see a situation where they're actually racing in October to try to get a conviction to be the October surprise for the election. I mean, I don't think that's a crazy thing to think about right now at all in D.C. It's also just as political commentators, think of all the time we're going to spend on the Biden economy and the Biden border. And ultimately, this may turn on a bogus abuse of law prosecution and what a jury of Trump's D.C. peers thinks that that, that could be the, the whole whole. Uh, you want a crazy thing. one to think about, too, Buck. What if one big Trump supporter got on the jury and just derailed the entire thing? I mean, if you're listening to us in the D.C. area right now, and there's about 5% of you that are Trump supporters, if you could get yourself seated on that jury as a Trump supporter, you could derail the entire United States prosecution. Are, are of you telling Trump. me that I should maybe look into uh, some Georgetown rentals or something I, coming up this summer and I, all I, of a sudden I, Chuck Saxon with a little mustache <laughs> he just grew could be on this jury? I don't know. I, I am saying if you are listening to us in the D.C. area right now and you are a Republican Trump supporter, usually when everybody gets that jury summons, they are like, oh, this is the worst day of my life. I've got to go to jury duty. You should be cartwheeling across your apartment, across your home to get down to D.C. Uh, court and try to get on that jury this fall because you could be the person who derails Jack Smith. Remember, it only takes one juror to just say, I'm not convicting, hung jury, that thing's done. And they have to go back, then Trump, there's no conviction. We just need one. I'd do it if I were a D.C. resident. I'd do everything I could to get on that jury. Well, and there's no, and there's absolutely no chance that they'd be able to retry it after you know if, if they they wouldn't be able to do a no, retrial zero, before the zero no chance, chance of that. So, so and all by the way, you and I have both been DC gal. residents at some point. So if I you know there's college kids out there listening to us right now who count as DC. You don't know I do no idea who's on the jury. Uh, if you can get on it. You could derail this thing. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start. Start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to 24, the year of impact with Clay and Buck. Our friend Andy McCarthy joins us. He is at National Review, a Fox News contributor, former federal prosecutor, and he is in Chicago right now watching his son play baseball. So I'm sure Clay is going to have some baseball related questions for you or, you know, little league questions, Andy, but if I can. <laughs> And thank you, thank you for being with us. Uh, if I can start, my pleasure. With, uh, uh, Eighty-three million dollar judgment against Trump. We kind of want you to give us your your just your top line on on that, and we'll get to some of these other legal things. It's just getting crazy, isn't it, Andy? I mean, eighty-three million dollar defamation judgment. How, how do you? How does this stuff? How can the system be taken seriously when it's so preposterous? Yeah, I, I think the best way to look at it is. Um, in the first of these two trials, the, the issue of sexual assault was actually on the table for the jury to consider. Uh, and they found it, but they awarded $2 million for it and then looked at the defamation and said $3 million more. So it was $5 million. So you have a case where the allegedly horrific thing that happened was at issue – the jury found it was proved, at least to their satisfaction, on a low civil standard of proof, but gave a very modest award, which I think is, tant- uh, is testimony to the fact that, um, you know, it's, it, it's a shaky story without a lot of um, factual support. Then you get to the second trial where sexual assault is not on the table. It's simply a question of damages for defamation, including one act of defamation that the jury actually considered but didn't have to vote on uh, in the in the first trial, and it's eighty three million dollars. You don't even have like the sexual assault involved in the case, and it's eighty three million dollars. Very, I'd say impossible to square, but certainly very hard to square. So, what do you think happens there? We get asked that question a lot. Um, obviously, Trump could negotiate alongside of uh, E. Jean Carroll's attorneys. Sometimes you see when somebody you well know and for you thought they were not familiar, if a jury gives an outlandish verdict, a lot of times the, the, the two lawyers have already set a ceiling and a floor by which they say, hey, we're not going over this number. We're not going below this number. That obviously didn't happen here. Do you think they say, hey, we'll take 20 million and Trump says, OK, do you think the appeal just goes on forever? And I mean, Andy, from a pure legal perspective, here's what I can't get past. And I'm curious how you would analyze this, even leaving Trump aside. He was found liable for defamation. 
based on in the second trial, comments that he made in 2019 before there had been any verdict rendered in the first civil trial. So this to me feels almost like a floating defamation. He didn't deny the verdict of the first trial. It feels to me like the story is being reported as if Trump made comments, and I believe she sued on subsequent comments, right? And that's a different story. But I don't understand how you can defame someone for a trial verdict that hasn't happened yet. Does that make sense to you? It seems very wonky and wacky purely from a procedural perspective. Well, it's it's procedurally confusing, Clay, because the 2019 defamation was tied up in appellate litigation over whether he had immunity for it because he made the statement while he was president. And here is where I think the court made an error that I think the appeals court is going to look very uh, hard at, and that is Trump only wanted to have one trial here. Yeah. And Judge Kaplan insisted on having two. So I do fault Trump for not contesting the first trial because, you know, look, if you're a defendant in a civil trial and you don't contest, it's not like a criminal trial. The jury gets told that they can draw an inference against you for not testifying, right? So you're almost assured if you don't participate to lose. And any good lawyer should have told them, you know, look, if you lose here in the next trial, they have this doctrine that's called collateral estoppel and you won't be able to relitigate. You know, he should have he should have participated in the first trial. But that said, it should only have been one trial. And sure, maybe there would have been a second one anyway, because if he kept defaming her, you know, she was going to keep suing him. And at some point there would have been a second trial. But it's really Kaplan's fault that there were two trials and the result of how Trump handled it. He really didn't have a defense in the second trial. So it was like, I, I think this is like a human thing more than a, than a legal thing. But I've always thought there's something really cathartic for a jury in finding someone guilty or finding against somebody on a, on a civil tort. And the effect of that is to kind of depress the damages. Like you, you think that you've, you've already struck a blow by saying the guy did it. And that has a moderating effect, I think, on damages. Whereas here, they didn't get to do that, this jury. The only thing, the only way, if they decided Trump was in the wrong, the only way they could slam him was with damages. And they really did. And on your first question, I think this isn't a normal case. I think you're right that in a normal case, they probably negotiate an amount and like everybody goes home. But there's a political component to this. And because it's not a criminal case, Trump has to put up the money in order to appeal. He doesn't have to pay it to Carol, but they have to pay it into an escrow account. And I think part of what's going on here is if you think about this case and then you think about what's coming with this Judge Engeron uh, decision when he gives whatever he's going to give on the civil fraud case where where the state is asking for $370 million, that's going to tie up a lot of Trump. That's half a billion dollars. Yeah. That's going to be tied up for a couple of years while he appeals. Andy, uh, uh, and we haven't even gotten to the criminal stuff, and I want to spend more time with you, with you on on that uh, too. But the so, so the civil stuff, it sounds like they're draining his resources and his time, and and there's just all and also the just the optics of going into court and this jury yep. found against him and all this stuff. On the criminal side of things, though. What is the latest? I know we've talked to you about this uh, a bunch. We always look at, it seems, first and foremost, the 
uh, January 6th trial in D.C. because that's the one that could be the most politically damaging, according to the polls. Does it look like that's going to happen? Well, it looks to me like it can happen, Buck, until at least the summer. And then to me, this is where I think I've been wrong all along. I've thought that it would be so unseemly to subject him to a two to three month criminal trial as it gets really close to the election, that there was like a certain date that if they couldn't start by like X date, they wouldn't start. I, I, I now think I was wrong about that because they've blown past every single norm you can imagine to get this guy. And I just think if the, you know, if it tees up that they can't get to trial until say mid July or early August, I think they're so determined to get that case to trial, they would try to push it to trial, even though it's two to three months. And even though in criminal trials, unlike civil trials, the defendant has to be present every day. So, you know, I hope I'm wrong about that, but um, I I don't think anything would stop these guys if they thought they could get that case to trial. Okay, so Andy, let's go into the time specifically, because this to me is the crux of maybe the 2024 campaign in general. Initially, they were going to try to start the Jack Smith case on March 4th. That's the day before Super Tuesday. There is 0% chance that that's going to happen, right? We're at February now. Uh, We've been saying on this show from the moment the Supreme Court took uh, the case that dealt with part of half of the charges on January 6th. Supreme Court can wait until late June if they want to to issue an opinion there. I think it would be very hard to start before the Supreme Court has ruled on that to say nothing of the presidential powers argument, which is currently pending before the D.C. Circuit and has everything frozen there. Right. Supreme Court can still take that up. Trump's going to appeal there. I now think that this New York City Alvin Bragg case may be the first to go to trial and that the Jack Smith case may or may not end up happening. If you were setting the over-under, and I know this is complicated, I know we got nine months until the election day basically sitting right now, how many cases do you think of these criminal nature are going to be able to be completed? I mean completed, jury, full verdict, before everybody officially votes. I think election day is November 5th, if I've got that right, for 2024. If you were setting an over-under right now, what would you make that number? I'm still going to say one. And the reason I'm going to say one is even though I think you're right that the Bragg case could get to trial and that's a shorter one, I, you know, maybe I'm fooling myself on this, but I, if I'm the Democrats, I don't want to start with that one. I agree. He could actually beat that case. So they haven't been. And also, by the way, I think I'm curious, Andy, sorry to cut you off. I think Buck and I have been talking about this on the show. I think a lot of people see all of these New York City cases as just kind of a big glob, a glob yep. that's all connected, even though some of them are civil, some of them are business related, some of them are sexual assault related. I think most people are kind of discounting all the New York City cases. So I agree with you that if that starts, I don't think that really lands a punch because I think it's just kind of lost in the overall New York procedural shuffle. Do you agree on that front, too? Not to mention the charges are less significant. Yeah, I, I would put it this way, Clay. I think it's a no-lose for Trump and a potential bonanza. I think if he if he loses the case, um, exactly what you said is true. It just, like, goes into the ether. It's another New York jury that had it in for him or, you know, whatever. But if he beats the case in Manhattan, 
which he could do because it's such a stupid case, that's going to discredit everything else in the lawfare campaign. And that would really be a coup for him, I think. One that's other question. They'll, they'll do it. One other question that I haven't heard anybody else ask or talk about, and you're an expert, by the way, good luck to your son in this. Uh, he plays for the University of Chicago, I believe. That's got to be amazing. Uh, incredible school to have a kid at that supports free speech, by the way, uh, and also to have a kid playing in college uh, baseball. I'm sure you love going to those games. That's outstanding. Uh, and hopefully it helps to defray the pain of your Mets never having a chance to meet my, beat my Braves. Uh, but, right. Andy, one thing that I'm not hearing anybody ask, I'm curious if you've thought about this at all. South Florida has been under the radar. What if South Florida decides to jump ahead of Jan 6 because they know the Supreme Court is not going to rule until probably June, and there are many different complexities there, not as many it doesn't seem actual complexities with the South Florida case, that could keep the Jack Smith case that I think Democrats want to be the focal point uh, which is the one in D.C., is it possible that there's too many moving parts now? And the Florida case is a serious challenge in terms of the facts for Trump, but I think the jury's very beneficial. I think the judge is very reasonable. That might last for months and box out the potential of there being charges brought and finished in D.C. Have you thought any about that angle? I, I think that... Smith made a uh, strategic error with respect to that case, which will not allow for what you, you just laid out, okay. which otherwise would be plausible. And that is, if you wanted to do that kind of fast and nasty and get it to trial, what you do is you leave the classified information counts out and you just do the obstruction case. Okay. And that I think he could have gotten to trial. The problem he has is he larded it up with like three dozen classified information counts. And under SEPA, which is the Classified Information Procedures Act, all admissibility questions about classified information have to be litigated prior to trial. And there are appeals. So I think part of what's bogged that thing down is not only the ability to get access to the classified documents for discovery purposes, but also just the sheer breadth of trying to litigate all of the admissibility questions that could possibly come up bearing on classified information uh, documents in the trial, it's going to be very hard. And I don't think the judge is pushing to get the, the case to trial. So it's going to be very hard to get that to trial. Andy, you think Atlanta, sorry, we're really doing it around the world here of the, the legal stuff. Uh, you think Atlanta's just basically done? I mean, because of the prosecutor and the, and the ethical issues and the whole thing? I mean, is that a non-issue, at least in terms of the election? It's the hardest one to to gauge because there's a lot of moving parts. Now the prosecutor's mired in scandal. She tried to do this big RICO thing to keep together what should have been a bunch of disparate little cases. And an overlay on this, Buck, is that um, Meadows is still litigating whether they can get the case transferred to federal court, which would basically start it all over again if that happens. And I still think he's got a good chance to win on that so you know i i think that's very that's a really tough one to to gauge at this point there's too much going on there well but, but i mean the prosecutor's issues alone is that enough that you think maybe just derails it the fact that i mean she's got she's got real problems yeah i i think it derail it may derail her participation in it more than it derails the case but on the other hand she's the one who pushed for the rico 
I mean, I think the Rico's preposterous, uh, and these guys never committed. You know, you can't conspire in the criminal law unless it's a conspiracy to violate a law. And trying to get an election reversed is not a crime. So that's not really the basis of a conspiracy. So she tried to paper over that by invoking RICO. But the truth of the matter is the only thing these 19 people ever did together was get indicted. Um, you know, otherwise, it's a bunch of disparate crimes committed by a lot of people, many of whom didn't even know each other or know what each other was doing. So I, if she's out of the case, I wonder if it lasts as a RICO as opposed to, you know, look, the four the four people have pled guilty. They haven't none of them pled guilty to the RICO. Right. And then with respect to one of them, they had a makeup, even though she has like this 140 page indictment or what it, whatever it is. Uh, they had to come up with another crime to get this person out of the case because it wasn't, you know, she couldn't plead to anything that was in the case. So it's a mess. Andy, enjoy the game. Good luck to your son, University of Chicago's baseball season. Um, and, man, as crazy as 2024 already is, I'm sure we're going to have you on a bunch of times breaking this all down with Forrest. We appreciate the time. Thanks, guys. Great to talk to you. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.